0: You are listening to the sermon audio of New Hope Community Church in Canaan, New Hampshire. For more information, visit our website at newhopecommunity.net. Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you, and I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions, for the sake of his body, which is the church. I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in its fullness, the mystery that has been kept hidden for ages and generations but is now disclosed to the saints. To them, God has chosen to make known among the Gentiles the glorious riches of this mystery, which is Christ in you, the hope of glory. We proclaim him, admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. To this end, I labor, struggling with all his energy, which so powerfully works in me. I want you to know how much I am struggling for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not met me personally. My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart, united in love, Your faith in Christ is. Well, it is Labor Day weekend. Uh, What does Labor Day mean for most Americans? Well, probably for us Americans, it's another excuse for three-day weekend. Uh, Maybe it's time to get that final barbecue in that you want. Uh, For many others, it's sort of the official ending of summer. But that's not at all its intended purpose. Uh, In 1894, when Congress declared this to be a holiday, it was actually to celebrate uh, the social and economic achievements of American workers, Uh, to kind of say, you know, we are so thankful uh, for Americans and their work ethic. Now, many of us would say a lot has changed since 1894 uh, when it comes to a work ethic. Uh, And the coincidence, or not coincidence, but timing is, the section in Colossians that we're going to look at this morning is all about work. It's all about spiritual labor. And so it's a perfect time for us on a day when our nation is supposed to be thinking about the value of work. For us to turn that around and look at the value of spiritual work and labor. Uh, and so I direct you to Colossians 1. And this particular section is from verse 24, which we read, through verse 5 of chapter Two, and Paul will give us three perspectives on spiritual labor or work Uh, that should be relevant not just to those in ministry, full-time ministry like Paul as an apostle, uh, but for every single one of us as a believer. Look at me at verse 24. Paul says, "Now I rejoice in what was suffered for you." Paul is not complaining here, but he is stating a fact. He's actually stating the first perspective on spiritual labor or work and that a spiritual labor is exhausting. It's interesting that he puts that right out there early in the letter. Spiritual labor is exhausting. He refers to what he has experienced personally as a servant of Christ. He says that the suffering he has gone through has, as we'll see, benefited not just the Colossian believers, but in fact has benefited the work of the kingdom of God. And we don't want to miss the significance when he says here, and what was suffered. Uh, it's speaking of sorrow, difficult trying experiences that Paul has gone through, his own personal weaknesses. And clearly we have glimpses when he has been the object of unjust criticism and personal attack. That gives you a a kind of a personal sort of seat to see, wow, is Paul saying that as a servant of Christ, that spiritual labor is hard? It's exhausting. And notice how this runs so contrary to kind of our understanding today of work. Uh, Many of us know that the American dream is where you got to work until you can retire until then you can get to do whatever it is you want but is that a biblical concept is there ever a time in the christian life where we're to say i don't need to labor anymore or to say i've done my part i've worked hard now it's somebody else's turn well i think that echoes the fact that spiritual labor is exhausting but notice in that verse 24 Paul goes on and says, I fill up in my flesh what is still lacking in regard to Christ's afflictions for the sake of his body, which is the church. So he's talked about his sorrow, the experiences he's gone through. This has actually been for the benefit of the church, the kingdom of God. But what does he mean when he says, I fill up the the sufferings in terms of here that are lacking? in regard to Christ's afflictions. Well, certainly Paul does not mean that he somehow supplements or adds to what Christ has done on the cross. That would completely negate everything before this that we read in the letter, where Christ is supreme over everything. He is worthy of all honor and worship, that through him we are given new life in Christ. So he's clearly not saying that by his suffering, he's somehow adding to his salvation or completing what only Christ could do a portion of. We also know that because you notice in that verse, he speaks of Christ's afflictions. In Paul's letters, he never uses the word afflictions to refer to Christ's redeeming work. He uses it in reference to, as believers, we will often experience feeling pressed, squeezed, and, and just kind of a sense of feeling sometimes just overwhelmed with our circumstances. So what he's actually saying there is suffering as a result of your allegiance to Jesus Christ should be expected of all believers. They, they shouldn't look at Paul and say, well, Paul, you're unique. Yes, you suffer because you're an apostle. Uh, he might perhaps suffer in different degrees But Paul is driving home here, this is evidence that you are a disciple of Christ, that that you do find at times spiritual labor and serving is exhausting. Again, keep in mind, he's not complaining. He's he's not throwing himself a little pity party here as he's in prison. He's stating just a fact. This is a part of the Christian life of being a follower of Christ. Because you notice in verse 29, Paul says, To this end I labor, struggling with all his energy which so powerfully works in me. And you have two things in that verse. He says, I labor in this. And the word labor there is continuous acting, continuous tense, which literally means I I do this to the point of exhaustion. I do this till I'm weary. And yet, amazingly, God continues to strengthen me, uh, but I serve and work hard. I think it's interesting as we look at our postmodern culture, we, we've kind of seen a shift, I think, from people working hard, generally to people now playing hard. They play hard. they, they live for the weekends to to play hard. but we've lost this sense not just in our culture, I think. But the question is, have we lost this sense even in the church today? What it means to work hard, to spiritually labor in the Lord, knowing it is to be exhausting. And I think you've seen, even within Christian circles, kind of that shift where probably there were generations ago where where that was taken to an extreme where people abandon their responsibilities to their families and other things for the sake of Christ. And that did not honor him. But I think we quickly see often today, what's happened is the family now has been put on the altar. The, The family becomes more important than our service to Jesus Christ. And somewhere there's a biblical medium there that scripture teaches. So Paul says, it is to this end that I labor. Remember where Paul is. He's he's in prison. If if anything, this would be a time where you might think Paul can't do what he wants to do. And in one sense, that is true. He, He can't be out planting churches. But he's actively serving. He's actively spiritually laboring. Turn with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 11. And it's not surprising that Paul would bring up this fact of spiritual labor is exhausting in other letters. And so, for example, you see in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, uh, most of the chapter from verse 16 to the end is Paul talking about his suffering. And I want you to think for a moment, why, why would Paul do this in a letter to a church and talk about his suffering that he's gone through? because he clearly is not saying that saved him, nothing like that at all. But he's saying that as, here I am a servant of Christ. You see my life. This is what a servant of Christ is to do, to labor. But if you look with me at verses 24 through 29, uh, this is probably a good verse to read on a Monday morning when you're feeling bad about having to get up early, maybe to do something. Or you feel that you're having a terrible week, and it just couldn't get any worse. Notice what he says, beginning at verse 24. Five times I received from the Jews the 40 lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I have been constantly on the move. I have been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, and danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I have labored and toiled and have often gone without sleep. I have known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I have been cold and naked besides everything else. I face daily the pressure of my concern for all the churches. Who is weak and I do not feel weak? who is led into sin, and I do not inwardly burn. There you have a picture of not just maybe Paul's physical labors. And I think we're, we can all know what it feels like. Maybe if you do a day of yard work, how physically you feel exhausted, uh, how your muscles ache. But there's another whole dimension to labor. When you talk about feeling like emotionally and spiritually, you're drained. When you have poured yourself out, and invest yourself in serving Christ. That's a different kind of sort of sense of exhaustion. And Paul relates that here, especially in verses 28 and 29, when he says, besides all this, the daily pressure of my concern for all the churches. Paul carried this big spiritual burden for his brothers and sisters in Christ. And if anything, that tells us as believers in a church, no matter what size, we should carry the concerns and burdens of one another. This should weigh on us. It shouldn't just be something we think of when we happen to glance at the bulletin and we see prayer needs. It should be something that's a part of our, our thinking during the week. This is evidence of Paul's labors in Christ. And once again, although he will talk in this chapter in 2 Corinthians about boasting, you want to clarify the word boasting there can accurately be rendered, he glories in this. It's not prideful boasting, like, look at me, look how strong I am. But it's glorying in God, because as he says in Colossians 1, God is the one who strengthens him in the midst of all this. So looking at this first perspective that Paul gives us in Colossians, it is simply that spiritual labor is exhausting. And if you're kind of thinking, well, it's been a long time since I've felt that, well, that's a problem. Because Paul's saying this should be a part of the Christian life. where We work hard for him. Now, that can certainly change over life. You know, as you get older, maybe your physical strength is not what it used to be. So you may need to change how you serve, how you work. But that's different from saying you just stop working. Or now it's your time to relax and let others carry the church. Let's go back to Colossians chapter 1, where we are. And we know that later in the letter... Paul will give a general principle, whatever you do, do it as unto the Lord. So you have that very broad general principle, this spiritual work ethic certainly should mark our service to Christ, but it also should carry over into every area of our life, how we work and why we do so. We also know that in Galatians, Paul will tell them, don't grow weary in well-doing. What does that tell you about spiritual labor? It's, it's exhausting, and sometimes if we take our eyes off of Christ, our strength, we do become discouraged. We, we grow weary. We kind of feel like, why bother? And so you have this perspective that is established. But let's turn to a second perspective that's here in Colossians 1 and the first part of 2, and that is spiritual labor is an excellent work. So, as I've said, Paul is not complaining because he knows that spiritual labor, serving Christ, is an excellent work. Notice as you look at Colossians 1, uh, the first three words in verse 24 Now I rejoice. Why would he rejoice in being in prison, in reflecting on all of his experiences? and saying he suffered for the cause of others, why would that give him a sense of rejoicing? Because Paul connects that this is an excellent calling. This is an excellent pursuit to spiritually labor because it is an excellent work. In fact, it confirms your identity as a follower of Jesus Christ. Notice Paul is not saying work save you. But he is saying works affirm, they testify your identity as a Christian, that you are a follower of Jesus Christ. And again, I draw your attention to verse 25 and following. He says, I have become its servant by the commission God gave me to present to you the word of God in all its fullness. I have become its servant. Through Christ, he is a servant of the church. He's a servant of other believers. He is literally a a slave in a sense that he submits his will, ultimately to the will of the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, that's easy for us to sing in a chorus that Jesus is Lord. That's kind of what the title Lord means. He has all authority and power. He owns you. It's a much different thing to bring that down into everyday life, everyday actions, in our church, in the community. Paul's saying here, this, this is an excellent calling. This is a worthy calling. It, it's a valuable calling. Reminds me of what he will say to Timothy when he writes and says, if someone wants to be an elder in the church, that, that's a noble task. That's a noble task, it's one of great honor. And now he's directing this not to just other apostles, saying, well, if you're an apostle, that's an excellent calling. But this relates to all of us as believers, that we have this excellent calling to serve Jesus Christ. Notice in verse 25, as I read, he said, this is by the commission of God And probably a better rendering of the word commission is by the stewardship of God, or the administration of God. And so you may recall in the Gospel of Luke, you have a parable about a steward. And a steward is one who's been entrusted with something that is not theirs, but they're entrusted with it, and they will have to give an account. And so here, Paul's saying, as a servant of Christ, I've been entrusted God's made me a steward to serve him with all that I have. And and I will have to give an account for that. And in Paul's day, you, you knew what a steward was. And so this is saying and reminding us we've also been entrusted, if you're a believer, with doing good works of spiritual labor. Not again as the grounds of your salvation, but giving evidence of your identification with Jesus Christ. If you go a little further, notice Paul in verse 26 and following, talks about this mystery, that that he's been given this calling, this work to declare the mystery of God. And we're not left with wondering, well, what does he mean by mystery? Because notice he tells you that in verse 27, this mystery is Christ. In you, It's the gospel. And the word mystery here is being used for something that was once unknown to us, but now has been made known by God. So what a privilege that we labor because we have this mystery declared to us in Christ and Christ lives in us. Christ in you is that mystery. How that should change our perspective—not thinking all the time, "Well, I can't do that. I can't do this." But if Christ is in you, what has He called you to do in your church, in your in your community, uh, in obedience to Him? It's such an excellent work that you notice the goal of it in verse 28. Paul referring to himself and Timothy and possibly the apostles, says, we proclaim him admonishing and teaching everyone with all wisdom so that we may present everyone perfect in Christ. That's the goal of spiritual labor. Not self-glorification, not getting a church named after us or a certain room in the church named after us, but to present Everyone mature in Christ. Probably mature is a better rendering there. Perfect does not mean to to have you become sinless in this life. But it's a word that points to attaining one's goal. And our goal is to be increasingly more and more Christ-like. Paul says that's the excellent work. That's why I labor. Not just to the point of exhaustion. But what keeps me going is this is... God's work, it's not human work. It's it's God's work, it's an excellent work. Notice as he continues, he he kind of has talked from verse 24 to 28 and 29 about his own experiences. Now he's gonna lift that up and apply it to the believers in Colossae in verses one through five of chapter two. Notice there as he does that in verse two, here's his purpose in terms of that work for them. And it's threefold. Uh, My purpose is that they may be encouraged in heart. I think if you were to ask anyone that you saw this week, uh, do you ever feel like you need encouragement? I think everyone would be like, yes. Paul's saying my purpose as I labor in Christ is I want to see people encouraged in their faith. I want to come alongside them. He's urging them, encouraging them. But notice the second purpose, united in love. And this love grows out of a relationship with Christ. This isn't some kind of social, just ecumenical forged love, uh, but it's love out of a right relationship with Christ. Paul says, "That's, that's what I'm laboring for. That's what I'm striving for to see. And then thirdly, that you would be know the full riches of complete understanding, that you would know the mystery of God, namely Christ. That your knowledge, like he prayed in the very beginning of the letter, that you would have a fullness in your knowledge and understanding of God's will for you in Christ Jesus. When you look at it that way, you want to say, no wonder Paul is so diligent. No I wonder, even though it's, it's tiring and it's humanly exhausting and humanly impossible, Paul continues on because this is an excellent work. It's a work that he personally has been given by commission by God. And that shouldn't be something we just say of apostles. Yes, your ministry was unique, but aren't each of us in Christ Jesus, haven't we been given a calling? In fact, in, the, in a letter of Ephesians, which is probably written about the same time, it's all going to be kind of taken and delivered by those messengers. He says, walk worthy of your calling in Christ Jesus, which would relate to every single believer. You may remember Jesus when he's gathered with his disciples in the upper room. Uh, will give them a series of instructions. One of those from John 15 is that If we remain in him, we will bear much fruit, and that will glorify the Father. What was Jesus saying? Labor spiritually. Be actively serving, not to get kudos for yourself, but to show people the transforming power of Jesus Christ. Martin Luther, who certainly was a strong advocate of salvation by faith alone, Uh, through In Grace Alone, Uh, put it this way. He said, God doesn't need your good works, but your neighbor does. What he was saying is, that's the way people can see the change. Now, we still need to follow it up with an articulate message. What is salvation? Who is Jesus Christ? But it reminds us, spiritual labor is important. It's a part of our sanctification. It's not a part of our justification, that's all Christ. But it is a part of our sanctification. So we've looked at two perspectives so far. Spiritual labor is exhausting, spiritual labor is an excellent work. And now we come to the third, spiritual labor must be done with an eternal perspective. Because we already dealt with the fact there's always the present danger, we'll we'll get weary. Uh, We'll look around us and we'll compare our efforts to someone else, and maybe get a false sense of pride, self-righteousness. And so we always need to look at serving the Lord with an eternal perspective. And again, I draw your attention to chapter 1 and verse 28, when Paul said it's his goal to present everyone mature in Christ. What is Paul thinking of when he says to present everyone? I don't think he's referencing when he hopefully gets to visit them, that they'll be that way. I think he's thinking beyond that. He's thinking eschatologically. In other words, I I want them when they get to heaven, for Christ to see his glory in them. That he's looking at an eternal perspective here. Because his present situation we well know is bleak. He's in prison, there's no assurance that he's getting out. I mean, we know he does, but, but Paul doesn't have that knowledge and insight. And yet he can say, I'm continuing to labor, why? Not because it's convenient, not because he physically just feels like it, but he's laboring with an eternal perspective. And then notice verses four and five of chapter two. He says, I tell you this so that no one may deceive you by fine-sounding arguments. For though I am absent from you in body, I am present with you in spirit and delight to see how orderly you are and how firm your faith in Christ is. Now, he started by talking about the suffering he had undergone. Then he comes back full circle with a warning to them, which is sort of maybe alluding to some of the the false teaching that Paul's concerned about that hasn't infiltrated the church there yet, but is on the horizon. But notice how he says, even though I'm absent, I am present with you. And you have this strong understanding of Paul's sense of of corporate, not just identity, but our union in Christ, that he could be far removed from this congregation, and yet he's with them in spirit. And doesn't that sort of remind us as we started this service, we said, we're worshiping here, but this worship service is a part of something much bigger. And that gives us that eschatological perspective. Because we could easily get into the trap of me calling everyone on a Saturday night and saying, will you be in church tomorrow? And then doing a bottom line, well, if we don't have more than, you know, three people, we're just canceling. Notice we're looking at things from a much bigger perspective. Not just our labor, but but why we worship. And is God always worthy of worship? And whether we have two or three people, whether we have 50 people, we are joining in that worship in heaven that we're anticipating being a part of. That we know one day with assurance, as Paul says here, that, that God will delight. In seeing a faith that is orderly and firm. Both those words there are military terms. It it literally would mean uh, seeing a faith that is in rank. You could kind of say, everyone's in step. Everyone is doing what their job should be. And doesn't that come right back to spiritual labor? Everyone doing what God has called them to with their gifts and abilities and time and resources. And that makes everything function in a way that it should. We know that definitely Paul kept this perspective before him. And he's encouraging these believers in this, again, like I've shared, out-of-the-way place. Colossae was a city whose glory was long gone. It's probably one of the least significant cities Paul wrote to. And yet he's telling them, you're not just a little blip on the map. You're servants of Christ. And you should labor in accordance with who you are in Christ. We get to the very last words that we have recorded of Paul's in 2 Timothy. And you're probably very familiar with this in 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verses 6 through 8. As Paul, once again now, finds himself in prison. Uh, The tone of 2 Timothy is much different than some of the previous letters from prison. Uh, This one, it's it's very obvious that Paul realizes uh, probably the ruling is going to go against him. But listen to what he says in verses 6 through 8. And again, hear this through everything we just heard from Colossians. Paul writes to Timothy and says, For I am already being poured out like a drink offering, and the time has come for my departure. I have fought the good fight, I have finished the race, I have kept the faith. Now there is in store for me the crown of righteousness, which the Lord, the righteous judge, will award to me on that day, and not only to me, but also to all who have longed, is appearing. What a picture of Paul seeing spiritual labor from now an eternal perspective. Because momentarily it will sometimes seem maybe fruitless, maybe discouraging, uh, maybe pointless. But Paul knows that is not the reality. And so these passages remind us on a day that our nation should be focusing on the significance of work that we turn our eyes in the Lord's Supper to the fact that we're saved by grace, but our spiritual labors are evidence of a genuine and authentic faith. Let's pray. Our gracious God, we thank you for servants like Paul, Timothy, others in the word of God who have gone before us, others that are even more contemporary And so it may not be our intent to hold up the servant as an object of worship, but to turn like they did to the one who is worthy of all worship because of all that he has done for us. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. I think we have the benefit of being reminded what it must have been like when Jesus was gathered with his disciples and instituted the Lord's Supper. A group a little bit bigger than this, but not a whole lot bigger. There would have been eye contact, that would have been looking around. You know, so when he said these words, he was not reading them, he was looking at them. And so when he spoke of his body that would be given, he looked at them. When he spoke of his blood that would be shed, he, he looked at them, they knew he was talking to them. And yet later, as we see through the letters of Paul, Peter, uh, that out of what he has done for us, the rightful response is to be servants. Let me pray. Our gracious God, we know that our salvation is in Christ alone. Through his righteousness are we forgiven of our sins. And yet we rejoice in that, but we must not fail to realize that that is to lead to a changed life. That is to result in spiritual fruit that will draw attention to you and glorify you. May we realize that we are saved by grace, but Lord, we will have to give an account for our works. Have we used what you've given us in a way that honors you. Lord, may we examine our hearts as we will take the bread, a symbol of your body, which is given for us. As we hold that in our hands, let us realize the cost of our new identity and nature in Christ Jesus. We pray in our Savior's name. Amen.